Nearly all new tech companies build in a public cloud, and established companies are rapidly migrating applications to the cloud from their on-prem data centers. But this move to the cloud can lead to a visibility problem. Cloud providers offer not only compute instances, but also managed services like databases, blob stores, queues, and more. It can be difficult for SRE teams and security departments to understand what is happening across a company's cloud accounts. Yevgeny Patz is the creator of Cloud Query, an open-source cloud asset inventory powered by SQL. Cloud Query allows you to ingest and structure the resources in your cloud accounts so that you can query them using SQL. This allows SRE teams to understand the source of specific resources, while security teams can ensure compliance with policies. In this episode, we'll discuss Cloud Query, Yevgeny's entrepreneurial background, and raising funding with an open-source project. All right. Hey, Evgeny. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, Alex. Thanks for hosting me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So you're the founder and creator of Cloud Query. Can you just give us a little bit of background on, on what Cloud Query is and what, it, what it's doing for people? Yeah, sure. We started as an open source project early last year. We started as an open source cloud asset inventory. So basically connecting to all your cloud services, cloud APIs, then extracting all the configuration, transforming it, and loading into relational database, into Postgres. So maybe you can also think about this as like Terraform, but the other way around, not provisioning anything, but just extracting all the configuration. So kind of like an ETL layer for cloud configuration. And we started because we thought like, one, because I didn't find anything like that and I really needed it. And two, because I thought that it's a cornerstone to a lot, a lot of use cases in the cloud, either in security, cost, visibility. You have like a sprawl of enterprise, closed source vendors that I think their development teams, like 90% of the time are implementing closed source version of Cloud Query and everyone has their own small closed source version and there is no like open source. So we decided to go the open source way. And this also like gives the ability to like users to like also contribute back because there are like infinite number of APIs out there and there is no one vendor that can support all of that. So like the only way that we thought like, you know, we'll able to solve it is to go the open source way and kind of like the similar reason why Terraform is open source, right? Because you want to give people the ability to contribute back something that, you know, they need and the vendor just didn't get into like implementing yet. And I can talk a bit later about some of the use cases specifically and some of our users and how people like use us and deploy it. Awesome. I love that description as a, re- a reverse Terraform. And I think the open source nature of it is interesting. I want to get into that later, especially like as, you know, a funded company and open source, how we do that. But I think you make a great point where if you're building this framework of sort of how do you sort of input resources, get them into this thing to make them queryable, then that open source nature of it just allows so many people to come and do the long tail of things, whether it's a different cloud provider or a different type of resource that other people aren't using, they can they can sort of get those in there. So I love that. You said, you know, as you were looking to make this, you, you wanted something like this and, and you couldn't find anything like it. Tell us about that. Why did you want this to exist? You know, getting your resources into a relational database. What were you looking to do with that? In the industry, like around like security, DevOps, cloud, the last 12 years. So like I played like built SaaS apps. I was also like on the other way, like not only from the vendor side, but also like from the builder side. So it's kind of like close to me. But the other thing that the big shift that I saw like a few like 
uh, my first startup was super enterprise, and that may be like a long answer to to a short question. But my first startup was super enterprise, like email security, top down startup, and I've been there like for two years. But then I understood that I don't want to run a company where there is get a demo button. So last five years, I was like focused solely on the developer space because for me, like all the classic vendors didn't make sense anymore because like I wouldn't use it for from the like user perspective, right? So, but a lot of the companies still in the security space are like top down. So like you can also go to Palo Alto Networks Checkpoint, but also like kind of next gen startups, especially like in Israel. So I said, okay, like, let's see what's the like dev alternative, open source alternative. And I didn't find any. And that's like basically how I started. There were like a few like open source projects trying to tackle it, but nothing like that really hit it out of, of the park with like good architecture and good adoption. So, yeah. Cool. And you mentioned it's open source. You have a bunch of different providers and things. Can you give us a sense of like what it supports currently? I imagine you're hitting the major cloud providers, but you know, what other sort of providers and things, and then how deep is are, are the resources within some of those providers? Yeah. So we definitely started as like focused on the big three cloud providers, like AWS, GCP, Azure, have a bit like DigitalOcean and a few like small, smaller providers. But yeah, the focus was really on the big cloud providers. And we have also like third-party providers. So for example, like Yandex Cloud is maintaining their own integration and own provider, which is pretty neat. We're trying to, to expand that like and help users to do that more, more easily as we go with like better developer experience. But we already like saw some good third-party integrations to Cloud Query. And regarding like the depth of that, yeah, we try to go pretty deep and like support as much as APIs as possible, especially like the important one. And I think in AWS config, we support potentially like even more and uh, same thing in GCP, even more resources than like AWS config or in Google, Google cloud asset inventory, which is like the enterprise, like the cloud solution. Because actually their team, they have the same problem. Uh, they work with the same APIs. And their solution is, is closed source, so they hit the same. So even though they are in the in Google or in AWS, it doesn't help them to cover all their APIs. I think that's so interesting, and it's it's the same pattern we've seen with Terraform over the years, where Terraform has better coverage than CloudFormation. I think the CloudFormation team and things are they're getting better about that, but it's yeah. just amazing when you uh, you know you have that open source nature. Someone in the community is going to want to contribute that so they can use it, and it's it's, it's just pretty amazing. Okay, so imagine I'm someone that I have a lot of resources in AWS. I want to get a sense of this. I, want, I pick up Cloud Query. How do I get started? What's that process look like? You know, from getting started to getting it into a relational database. What's happening there? Yeah, so so there are kind of like a few onboarding path. Really, like the first step usually it's just a Go. So it's written in Go, a single binary, and kind of like have similar, actually like really similar architecture to Terraform. We used a lot of the underlying. Terraform libraries, like it's called Go plugin. So to download all the plugins and run them locally. But yeah, it's a single binary. You can download it locally and then you just run like Postgres in the Docker in the local container. So we can load all the information in your local Postgres. You connect it to your AWS account and that's basically it. And we support also like AWS specific features like AWS orgs. So you can connect us to like read only your audit permissions so we can extract all your accounts under your organization, go through them, extract like all the configuration across all your accounts. And people ran us on 
like thousands of accounts. I think the biggest account, like the biggest one, at least on GCP that we saw from one of our users is like tens of thousands of GCP projects. So yeah, and then the nice part is it's really about like rebuilding those use cases on top of a data platform. So once you have the data there in a relational like structured way, then you can connect it to whatever you use, like uh, Grafana. Some people connect us to Grafana, to Metabase, to Apache Superset, like whatever you have, right? It doesn't matter. It's just the, just the database. So Yeah, cool. And then, so once I've got all my resources into Cloud Query, what are some of the practical use cases or maybe even teams or different things that, that people are doing with that data? Yeah, so it's mainly split across like two teams, the DevOps and SRE teams, which kind of like fall under the same bucket. And the second one is more on the security side. Sometimes it's also like the DevOps team also takes that. But on the DevOps SRE team, it's usually like just around monitoring and visibility. So, you know, you set up alerts, for example, in Grafana or Metabase, like sending you either like daily reports or daily or reports when something changed, when you have like, for example, more compute than you want to, or some API, where you have APIs enabled that you don't want to be enabled in some project, like whatever rules, like you can set up any rules with SQL, like basically you use SQL as your rule and query engine. And the second use case yeah, is around security, right? So running, like putting the guardrails with, like again, with the standard query language. And we also uh, implemented something called Cloud Query Policies. So actually just in another abstraction on top of SQL. So it just, like you run the same SQL and you can you know, run them like as a batch, you put all, all your policies or rules and then you can, you know, notifications and so on. And another thing on the DevOps side that we saw, like a use case that we saw quite a bit is not only giving this visibility to DevOps team, but also giving this visibility to the developers. So let's say you're like thousand people organization and you have thousands of accounts not everyone has access to all the accounts and they shouldn't but also for example you're debugging something or you're seeing something in the logs now you want to understand like okay where this like in which cloud it is like this ip or like uh, located and then like in which project like who should i reach out to where it's connected right so just like kind of like a infrastructure search use case, I would say. So yeah. for developers, yeah. Nice, I love that. And one sense I wanted to get is just a, a sense of scale for query users, like how big are these projects they're having? You're saying, you know, people with 10,000 GCP projects. How many resources are we talking about there? I mean, are people pushing 100,000, million? Like what's that sort of look like? Like we saw 100, 200, 300,000. So most of our like early adopters that we saw you know, coming to Cloud Query is usually big companies that, yeah, they, they don't have like a good enough alternative, basically. That and this is also like partially why we built it. But yeah, uh, companies like Tempus, Fastly, another like big organization like using us in production, which is good. And yeah, we're working on on bringing more. Yeah, absolutely. I, I imagine just like with, with 10,000 projects and trying to figure out which S3 bucket or like you're saying, which IP address and who owns that is just it's just quite the task unless you have something like this. So with that notion of, of scale in mind, I want to talk a little bit about like the underlying technology. Yeah, I know you mentioned Postgres, things like that. I guess like were there any particularly hard problems that you had to 
designed for as you're going either in the fetching part, in the in the storage and querying? Like, what what was hard and tricky about this? Yeah, so there were like a few tricky things to to solve, and I think we are also like still solving a lot of them and trying to put like a lot of focus on the developer experience because actually we have two types of users. So one is like really our like users, so develop like people who use the essentially the Postgres or deploy it, so it's like the DevOps team, the security team, or just the developers. And the two is actually like real developers of our like SDK. So essentially we build like an, an SDK where you can build your providers and we have some users that already did it. And then like it's a completely different developer, right? So you have to make sure your like APIs and SDK is in very like high production grade so people can really use it and it can scale. And the other thing, yeah, is like the developer experience and the usage and that it can support like high scale accounts. So the quality, like we put a lot of focus on quality over quantity uh, and still, especially like because it's that a dev tool, uh, like self-serve dev tool where, you know, we don't have any like sales team to support it, right? You come to our GitHub, you try it, either it works and then, you know, you stay on call free and either it's not, then, you know, we don't know about it. So and like some of the hard problems, yeah, as you say, is around like the fetching. So we put a lot of work into like scheduling and optimization and how to fetch kind of like the most resources in short amount of time. So that was one. The second one was really designing and building cloud query SDK on the like developer perspective. And then like putting a lot of effort also internally and like also for external integrations, but also internally, how do you scale that? in terms of both development velocity and testing. So, okay, we want to increase our team and we want to support more APIs. I see pull requests. Like, it's, it's a lot of APIs to support that we want to add and we want to be able to add them fast or to other people to contribute. So I need to know that, okay, it's, it works and it's easy to write tests for that. And like testing infrastructure is, is quite tricky. So we have Terraforms to test it and... We tried to make really like the contributor developer also like quite easy and we're still working on making it even easier. But that was a lot of the engineering and that's still like going on and we try to put focus on. Do you have a lot of like integration tests against live accounts with real resources? I feel like Terraform had that problem just expense wise of like creating and tearing down resources. Yeah, so we have it. I think it's partially solved. So the best thing that we found, like, yeah, we... For every resource that we create, we want to test it against live environments. So we write, like, or the contributor has to write a Terraform for that, that we deploy this resource in real environment. And then we test against that, that, okay, we are able to fetch, like, all the data that we are, we're expecting to. And actually, we are not even tearing this down because we want people to be able to, like, we don't want people to wait for this resource to be created, which will be extremely lengthy. And we don't want to do like nightly tasks. Oh, you committed something like in the morning and then it broke in the night and getting into all this like flakiness. So it's just there. And yeah, like apart from maybe caught like things like are very expensive that, you know, we are skipping. We try to like have like live and test environment and maybe as it will grow, we'll have to think about like something smarter but for now, like the cost is not that high. So we're just trying to keep it simple and test it against like real environment. 
Yeah. I wonder if the clouds would help you out with some credits on that too. You know, I imagine you're helping with adoption in, in different ways or reducing friction. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see. You mentioned you spend a lot of time on, on scheduling and efficiently pulling things like that. If I have, you know, an organization that has lots of accounts that has a hundred thousand resources, how long does that cloud query fetch take to go and, and pull those up? Is that minutes? Is that hours? Like what's that look like? Yes. So one, it depends on the compute that you have and the number of CPUs. So, you know, that's not like the EGL workload. And I think like one of the reasons that we also chose Go, so one, it's really easy in terms of distributions, right? It's just one binary without dependencies. This was, I think it was one of the main reasons. But the second one is actually, it's very good in concurrency. So you can just like create very lightweight working and we, we use that. So I think if you have like strong enough like machine, let's say even like eight CPUs, maybe you can go like 16, but you can get it maybe even under an hour. But I will say that's the ballpark if you have like really that like extreme big accounts, which should work because you can even fetch it. Like we saw people fetch it and we also fetch it internally like every six hours. It's usually good enough for us. Some people do it like every two hours. We didn't see a lot of requests to have like, Real time, like completely real time. If you have two hours, it, it usually should be good, good enough. So, yeah. And are most people hosting cloud queries somewhere in the cloud, or do you have a lot of people just run on their laptops and checking it there? Like, what, what? How do you see that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the the first kind of onboarding guys to run it locally, just to play with it, see like that it works, that it answers your use cases, where it's whether it's search or visibility or uh, security rules. And the second one is it has to deploy it on kind of in, in production and to run periodically. So like you can run cloud query in a lot of ways. So we, we just give some guidelines and uh, like pre-made deployments for Kubernetes. So just to be like consistent and not like uh, support a lot of different types of deployments. So we have cloud query Helm chart, which you can deploy on your Kubernetes and it will run in a cron job and you can connect it to your RDS. But we also like provide Terraforms for GCP and AWS. If to, to provision the infrastructure as you need, if you need, like actually together with the Kubernetes as well. So you have like one kind of like one deployment. So you don't need to jump from Terraform and, and Helm, but actually what the Terraform is doing is deploying the, the Helm after it provisioned the EKS cluster, the database or in GCP, it's the GKE in the cloud SQL. Does Cloud Query support Kubernetes in the sense that like, I can get a more granular look at like what my Kubernetes cluster is doing. Like maybe I have a hundred nodes running, but I have all these different services on it. Can I get visibility into that? Yeah. So we have a Kubernetes integration provider. So I would say like beta. So it supports some of the resources. So I'm not sure like what the granularity of the visibility you get. You can plug it in. And so something that actually people ask is to connect the Kubernetes provider with the, for example, with the GKE. So after you fetch all like the information from GCP and a configuration about GKE is to go ahead and use the Kubernetes provider for the Kubernetes clusters on your cloud provider, right? Whether it's GKE or EKS to get even more like granular data. Yeah. Cool. One last thing just on the underlying tech. I feel like I read a blog post about y'all looking at time scale and things like that. Do you have historical looks at the resources I have, or is it always sort of like a, hey, this is what I currently have and it's going to get overwritten every time when I do a fetch? Yes, yeah, so this one was 
really tricky to get right as well. And we try different things on what will work. So like to have historical view, you basically need to maintain like handwritten migrations for every resource, which is quite impossible from a development yeah. perspective. But then we talked a little bit more with, with some of the users. And for them, they actually said that like they don't necessarily need it all like all in one schema at the same table to always create the time, but it's more like for reactive or investigation purposes. Okay, I want to go back and look at what I had in like this day, like loaded and look at what I had there. So some of the things that we'll probably look into in this scenario, as I said, it's actually more of a data warehouse and data lake. So you want actually to store it where it's cheap and then only like query when you need it. So this is something that we will look into in terms of like supporting actually data lakes, like Snowflake, BigQuery, and, you know, putting it there that you can also like both use like other databases and also use it for like historical reasons. But in a sense, you can also like do it outside cloud query, like just back up your Postgres periodically. But we want to give like more native support, right? Where you can, you know, connect cloud query to a data lake and then, you know, okay, it's stored there. If something happens, I have another point of like information that I can go back and use if I need to investigate something. Yeah, cool. It could also be cool to have like some post-fetch roll-up aggregation queries, you know, like maybe you just aggregate some of the data into, you know, you're saying like, hey, on this date, I have this many EC2 instances in each account, just, you know, maintaining that, be smaller number of rows to maintain over time, but then you could still get some historical stuff or, or things like that if you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. For one table, this is something you can do. Like you can maintain migration for one, exactly one table, but not for like, hundreds of tables so yeah yeah, this will be one option as well yeah yep cool that's interesting i want to shift gears a little bit and go into your background because as you said you know you've started a few different companies this is your third one so can you just give us a little bit on you know how you got into entrepreneurship maybe some of the companies you had an acquisition in there some cool stuff so yeah so i guess i could start from the start so like i was i guess i was always like into was my kind of childhood dream starting company i didn't know why Maybe read like a lot of like stories about Mark Zuckerberg. It was exactly like 2008. <laughs> yeah. I finished like high school and yeah, I guess like somewhere there. So then I joined the Israeli cybersecurity intelligence unit and I've been there for four and a half years. And yeah, I was all like a lot of into like computers there early on and like a lot of the like iPhone happened then. So I guess like it's all accumulated all together. So it was kind of. My, I guess, passion, like real from the start, also started like a few projects, like while in the army, kind of like bootstrap things. But then after the army, I joined a start, like cybersecurity startup in 2013. It was called like a small startup, it was called Hyperwise, and it was acquired by Checkpoint after eight months. There wasn't even like one customer. And I said, well, like this was my first startup experience. And I said, well, that's, that's easy. You just start a company, you working on eight months, you don't need to, to have any customers. And then just Checkpoint acquires you for a bunch of money. So I, I didn't stay in Checkpoint. I had a retention, but I said, like, if that's that easy, there is no sense like to stay like for whatever. It's money like there. So then like, basically it was actually like, it was good experience, but from the sense, actually it was pretty bad. Like it was learning from completely the wrong example. It taught you the wrong lesson. Yeah. Like, Back then, I was sure, like, that's the way it is, like, right? I saw it with my own eyes. 
And then I talked, and the funny thing that I had like two good friends that were working in small startups in the same time, and they had the same experience. And it just like that, it, there was just some like micro acquisition spree of just like very small companies and we all learned the wrong lessons. So we went, we raised some money for like startup, like initially we didn't even know what we were doing, but like it was cybersecurity was hot back then. I guess it's also hot now. We got some money. We started like after we got the seed round of like $2 million, we started talking to customers, investors. We understood that actually yeah, like our idea is not that good. So we pivoted pretty quickly, like to email security, like enterprise email security and started building that for two years. And then I realized, all right, no one is coming. No, no one is my guys. It doesn't work that way. Actually, you have to build a product that people use. So actually, it was like what I thought before I was in the third startup. So, okay, now I get it. But anyway, like, yeah, we had like things were like not that great, not a lot of product market fee. So anyway, like the investors brought new CEO. I stayed a bit like to help with the tech. I think like the company was like a solid place. And then I went, I said, okay, I want to, to focus on dev, like dev first, PLG. I think like this is the future. We, we got it completely wrong here, but looks like they found like a new CEO with like sales-led growth and he led it there. The company is still alive today, but it's always early. You never know. Yeah. I think it's doing a bit of, of revenue, which is nice. So not like a complete disaster. But then, yeah, I was totally focused on PLG and for like three about three, four years, I was focused on like bootstrap, self-funded startups. And my last one was really, it was a CI for fast testing. So if you know, like Google has cluster fuzz, like is there open source kind of fuzzing as a service for a lot of open source project? And I thought, okay, like, looks like the market is hot. I want to try it out. I bootstrapped it like with something more user-friendly. They have it like... It was kind of a Google internal project. So I wanted to build something more kind of user-friendly. I built it and we had like quite a good market share there, like in terms of open source project using, it was called Fawcett, like 50% of like 50% were Fawcett and 50% was Google, like of the whole 50% of the project that we're using Fawcett, right? Not all, yeah. all of them. But then I realized that like after the first experience that we raise money way too early i was always very cautious to raise money because after that it's the you know the way of no return you know also like okay what happens if you realize like one week after you raise money that there is no like product market fit at all right then you're sucked right then you have to like okay let's make something i don't know yeah and you're like into this inconvenient point so yeah so i i was very like cautious with raising money before I'm sure. And I realized there is not a lot of like product, like it's a bit of too niche, like not every project needs fuzzing. It's a bit of like CC++ specific. It reduced the market even more. So a lot of our projects were really like CC++ where it's a burning problem with memory yeah. corruption vulnerabilities. So yeah. I think people understand that just not, they don't write in CC++ anymore, but it means like, the market is, is getting smaller. So actually, luckily, like GitLab said, okay, we want this. It's good for us. I said, okay, okay, just in time, I'll help you integrate it into the platform. And yeah, it was a great experience also in GitLab, like looking how they work in remote company. And we are a remote company now. I took like a lot of the lessons there. 
yeah, and after that, kind of like went into cloud query. Did you stick around at GitLab for a while, or did you mostly just help integrate and then say, "Hey, I want to, I want to start my own thing again"? Yeah, I helped integrate, but I was like always on the like thinking about the next thing. I didn't know like when when I will like find the next one because I wasn't pressured, and I want to be sure also I work on the right thing. So it kind of like grew faster than I expected. Some of like my early experiment with the open source. So once I saw it started getting like traction. Yeah, I decided to to leave and start like focusing on that full time. Cool, and that's a good segue because I want to talk about you know Cloud Query is a totally open source project, but you've also taken seed funding. So how do you sort of plan to balance that that open versus paid nature? Do you have any, I guess, like business role models in that category, like certain companies that you want to model after there? Or what are you thinking about? Yeah, so I think I have a few, and I think also it's something like it's still an unsolved like. An unsolved problem, and a lot of like companies taking different approaches depending on their specific use case. So I think, in some sense, like Terraform is a good role model. But again, I think we like yeah. Eventually, it will be managed version, and a lot of also like users ask us for managed version because like infrastructure burden is real, and a lot of companies like don't have any specific constraint. Like it's usually no brainer as long as you give like some competitive and reasonable pricing. So this will be like our way into monetization to start working on a managed version of Cloud Query. But before doing that, we need to have like big enough adoption. Like let's say in the thousands of like medium to big organization using us on a daily basis, because let's say we release a managed version and we can take like something like 10% conversion rate just for like we don't have any special features, you know, just the same thing, just manage. So like 10% conversion is, I think, something reasonable. So if you have like thousands, like thousands, like 2000s of users starting to be, like of big users starting to be interesting in terms of like revenue. But if you have like even 100, which is not bad, if you have 10% conversion rate, then you have like, you wasted a lot of time and money on 10 very expensive users while you could focus on growing the community, maturing the project more, and you can do both usually because focus is constrained and also because like money is as well like uh, constrained. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of open source companies trying to make some money. I think some of them are going to have a tougher time, some of them less so. I think this one, you know, like you're saying, people will pay for a managed version of this given that there's a database involved. You want some sort of UI, maybe some access control, things like that. There's going to be a lot, I think a lot of opportunity there to make that work. Yeah, and I think there will be also like potentially, and, and this is something that is just too early to know, just because the things that I'll know in a year are things that I don't know now, like regarding like what features we would do maybe in the managed version, right? Or what features will make sense to build like an extra or like how to do tiers, right? You have like a first tier and then you have like a second tier. I, I literally can't, like, it will be too hard to predict it, but. Yeah, eventually you will have to, like, even if you have, like, this conversion for just the managed version, you will have to start thinking, okay, like, how do you increase this conversion? Maybe how you have tiers, like, what features you introduce to make it profitable? And again, like, it will depend on financial, what is the team size that you need to maintain? So you have to have all those metrics to to make some, like, smart decisions. Yep, absolutely. Well, it'll be, it'll be cool to see that go. 
I have a last section here that I want to talk about, and I came up with some potential features or areas that Cloud Query could go in. And I want you to tell me, like, no way, we're not going to do that. That doesn't make sense with Cloud Query, or like, this is why that might work, things like that. So we'll just sort of riff on these, and you can expand on them if you want to. Number one, let's start off. So currently, you know, Cloud Query supports SQL. You can do select statements, select whatever from my EC2 instances, whatever. What about inserts or updates? Will you ever create or alter resources in Cloud Query? Is it always going to be read-only? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think we kind of like discussed it also like internally quite a bit. So for now, like for sure, we'll focus on read-only like because we still have a lot of features and a lot of growth to do with just like what we have now and like a lot incremental features. And like this one is kind of also like if you want to, you really like taking the company in another direction. It will also mean like a lot of more testing, more development time. So you want to be sure like people really need it in a sense. And that's a good question. Like I'm partially sure. So I found one use case, which is good but i'm not sure again like how popular it is so for example in terms of like provisioning like people already use terraform so i would say like it kind of feels like you don't want to replace that but on things like deleting like kind of deleting resources in a sense for example there is a tool even quite popular called aws nuke which clears aws environments so you actually give there a configuration in kind of like a dsl and if you look at the code, it's also a bit similar to Cloud Query. So, so the, the next thing is, okay, like I can use SQL and the framework is the same and then we can just implement the delete thing. But I think it will need like, if we are going to make this leap, we'll need some more insights into really like how popular that is because it can bring a lot of like support, new bugs, support burden, development burden. So yeah, it's a good question. And there is actually like another company I think called like iSQL, which is, I think, kind of trying to replace Terraform with like exactly with like insert, insert, like insert into, I think it's new, I don't know how it's going, but yeah, it's an interesting approach, but I'm like, I'm not sure, I don't know, like it's, it's a good question. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I'm a big infrastructure as code fan. And I just think like, why would you want to have it drift from your Terraform? You know, you've got the Cloud Query drift in there and this is going to add more drift. So I agree, yeah. but it's interesting the one thing I was wondering is, is hey, policy remediation stuff. If I always want to say on my S3 buckets, always enforce this, it'd be nice as a security team to be able to do that. But you probably just got to go out and talk to the teams responsible and say, hey, change your Terraform so that we're always provisioning this property or whatever. Probably better ways to do that. Yeah, exactly. Because then you also can get into these like loops. Like if you just remediate it, and this is like what we heard from most of the like infrastructure team. Yeah, that they're worried about like, sometimes about auto remediation because then it will just go into the loop. Like the only exclusion that I heard about is if it's like this one or two rules that are really bad that you like, you want to remediate right away. But usually like if it's something that you just don't want, you want to find exactly like the infrastructure code and fix it there. So it's really important. Yeah, cool. Okay, second idea. Have you thought about merging this with metrics in some way? And I'm thinking, you know, if I want to say I have all these S3 buckets or maybe all these SQSQs or whatever across my infrastructure, find and show me the top 10 SQSQs by the number of messages received in the last day or something like that. And, you know, you probably have to push this out to like a foreign data wrapper or something and query that outside of Cloud Query. But would you ever sort of mix that in? Yeah, 
I think it's something that we will look into. And I think it's under, it comes under like basically the meta feature is connected it with other external data. So if it metrics, but also maybe cost, maybe security, like kind of the next one most requested one, which is also kind of can work also in ETL approach, like metrics is like security issues. So collect like security issues either like from AWS security hub or things like whatever, like, you know, get a dependent bot or like any other alerts or sneak and right, plug it in. And then you can do smart things and prioritize, right? Like usually you have like tons of those alerts and then you can ask questions. Okay. Like show me like the vulnerabilities that are just on in this VPC, which is important for me. Right. So, so the metrics, yeah, the metrics is another like place to get information. Probably it's a more tricky one because it's like, it's not a classic ETL, right? Because as you said, like maybe Postgres foreign data wrapper, because there is a lot of data there. So yeah, it's, it's a good question. Yeah. If you want to store it in daily or just query it directly and have a like Postgres data wrapper is actually good, potentially a great way to, to solve it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What about this third idea? So currently cloud query is sort of like a poll based system. What about like a more event-driven push-based system where if I create an EC2 resource, maybe you guys hook into my cloud trail and immediately ingest that in. I imagine that takes a lot from the cloud providers to help you out there. But have you have you looked into like more event-driven and push-based updates? Yeah. So it's also on the like mid-longer term things you like investigate and try out. But yeah, like uh, reading cloud trail or event bridge, like for example, in AWS or in Google, it's a lot other, I don't remember the, the name, but yeah, the alternative fault trail, yeah, hooking into that and then basically updating on, yeah, on a push basis. It's possible, but of course there will be like new challenges, new development, new things that you want to test. Just for example, uh, cloud trail also has like 30, sometimes 60 minutes delay. Sometimes it only has like partial information. So you might want to so sometimes it will be easy just to update in place, right? Okay, the state of this EC2 was changed from running to stopped. So you just go ahead and change it. But sometimes you get only part of the information and then you might need to actually do another call to the cloud providers. Okay, get me, give me all the information. Now I want to update. So like a lot of room for questions and how to like do it in scalable ways and so on. So Yeah. Sure thing. Cool. All right. Last one. And maybe it already supports this. I didn't poke around the hub too much, but what about like non-engineering resources? Maybe if I want to go to, you know, my email marketing email provider and look up email or pull in email subscribers, or maybe like rippling and pulling employees or gusto or whatever. Do you support like things outside of cloud providers or is it pretty focused on engineering stuff? Yeah. So right now we don't have those providers just because we were like super, like you can do AWS and GCP and working like with those, with those use cases. But it was always like on our mind to also potentially support others. The use case there is usually different. It's like more data team, marketing team. And yeah, it's, it's a question because actually like the underlying tech and architecture is exactly that. It's just that our first use case was solid infrastructure. Yeah. But yeah, and, and then like we'll be looking into companies like, you know, Airbyte, for example, or Fivetran that are focused there, right? like on the long tail of small marketing providers, but, you know, maybe something that we'll also look into potentially. So, yeah, 
Cool. Well, th- thanks for playing along with me there on some of those, even if those those weren't the best feature ideas for you. I appreciate walking through that. Yeah, it's a good one, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Yo, Genny, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been a great discussion. Where can people go to find out more about Cloud Query, about you? Where should they be looking? Yeah, so feel free to like to jump on our GitHub issues. We also have a Discord, which is fairly active. So you can go to like callquery.io slash Discord or on our website, we have the Discord link. And you can reach out to me there on my Twitter or on my LinkedIn. You can find me anywhere, basically monitoring all questions as I'm, I'm the support team as well. Perfect. Sounds great. Well, Yevgeny Pats, creator and founder of Cloud Query. Thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Awesome. Thanks, Alec. Really appreciate hosting me and I really enjoyed it. Sure thing.